All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, here we are for season three, episode 20, a wrap up show of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak. I'm one of your co-hosts. I am joined this week once again by my best buddy and co-host. He just finished his countrywide drive back from L.A. with Stinson. Stinson drinking in the back while Thomas was driving after the Bulldogs blow out the Horn Frogs because they could not fly back because of the FAA and their computer system. Thomas, is Stinson okay? Like, what's his blood alcohol level at this point? Is he all right? He's, he, you know, he's good once we once we got well past Texas because he wanted to head south to Tijuana, spend a little yeah. time down there and yeah. blow off some steam. Thank goodness we were able to make it through Texas and uh, uh, gave him some Slim Jims and some beef jerky and he's passed out in the back. So we should be good at least till we get across the Mississippi. I saw that UGA learned from their mistake last year and went ahead and pinch hit for him and didn't put him on national television the morning <laughs> after the game and said, "Hey Brock uh, Bowers, you're gonna you're gonna do this for Stinson. He he's feeling pretty good uh, or or not feeling good. He was feeling good yeah. the night before." Um, so anyway, that leads us perfectly into anybody who's new to the show. This is the slightly above average football fan podcast, the X's and O shows for the Jimmys and the Joes. Typically, we break down scheme and concepts going into weekly matchups for the South Carolina Gamecocks and our rival, the Clemson Tigers. And typically we talk about a game of the week or a look around college football. As we are in a wrap-up show, it will be a little bit more general today, but you can certainly go through our library and see and listen to some of the things we've talked about. They are topical in the fact that they are a weekly uh, show, but you can learn a lot about the game in, in those past shows. So, Thomas, let's jump right into this. Um we're going to take a look at college football, starting with the national championship, and then a look around college football in general before we look at the South Carolina season uh, overall. And then we'll jump quickly into the NFL playoffs, the super wild card weekend this weekend. But, Thomas, what are your overall impressions of the national championship that, if it was a heavyweight fight, would have been stopped after the first round? <laughs> it would have. I mean, you know, you could see him on the side yelling, throwing the towel, throwing the towel. It throwing was, the towel! <laughs> it was, I mean, there's no other way to say it. It was an ass whipping. Like, I mean, I think I think Sonny Dykes himself even said that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you and I talked about it a little bit the other day was that, you know, I, I think I think Georgia is is now king of the mountain. Um, I think I think both of us. I think you and I both, and probably most of the country, say for uh, Mattress Mac, who lost quite a penny on this game, uh, felt pretty confident that Georgia would win. I, I don't know that I saw it so lopsided here, but you know it was. They just once they got their foot on the gas, and 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 they didn't let up. I mean, it was. So let me interject here uh, on the Mattress Max thing. I mean, I know who he is. If you're a sports fan, you've heard his name. You know, like, is there that much money in mattresses? Like, does he have a million stores? Like, <laughs> that dude, like, I mean, I get it. Like, I mean, he's he's a business owner or whatnot, but, you know, he just made a bunch off the Astros and the World Series. But, I mean, he's, he's throwing down millions of dollars. Like, uh, it's, it's insane. Like, 
how many stores does that guy have? Well, it's a good point because like when I was watching one of his videos the other night, because I, I didn't really know who he was until, you know, you heard about the Astros bet and then this big, you know, like three and a half million dollars he put on the Horn Frogs in this game. Right. But and and I told my wife about it and I was like, yeah, I think he sells mattresses. And she was like, and he's driving three and a half million dollars. She was like, so he, he he's he's part of the mafia, right? He's laundering money. Exactly. It's got to be yeah. you know? <laughs> like there's 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 no way. I mean. But it was, it was, it was crazy to to see that game turn out the, the way it did. I just don't think that we saw saw it so lopsided. Here's one of the things I want to get into that I want to ask you about is um, a lot of talk had been about this game and TCU's uh, a little bit unique, at least in the way that they play it. Their their three three five odd stack defense and how they were going to match up against Georgia. So. It just just as as brief background, you know, this is a defense that became really popular back in the 90s with Joe Lee Dunn when he was the D.C. at Memphis. We've talked about it a little bit before, how it relies more on speed than strength to pressure offenses, disrupting blocking schemes. You're using, you know, uh, smaller, quicker, more agile defensive linemen. And, and But some of the knocks on this is, and this is what I'll ask you about, is it talks about People say, you know, it can't handle that downhill run game. Obviously, three defensive linemen aren't as good as four. Your linebackers and safeties can struggle against overload formations. So let me ask you as an offensive guy, before I get into TCU's specifics and, and how they matched up with Georgia in this, but as an offensive guy, you're attacking a three-three-five. Like, what do you think about that defense as somebody trying to attack that? Well, what I'll say is you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. The, the The weakness of this is a downhill ISO duo inside zone power. It's just again they don't have they have six in the box. They're light in the box. So if you're a team that's like like Georgia that might run double tight, uh, you know, a twenty personnel uh, or twenty one personnel, um, you know. My favorite formation on offense is the old ace formation. One back behind the, uh, you know, the Denver Broncos made it famous because you've got two tight ends, one on each side, a back behind the quarterback who's under center. And when you run that with the true, you know, stretch zone, as they called it back in the day, it, it creates a whole nother gap. And also from that, now you can l- loosen up the middle. Well, the whole, that doesn't have to happen when you only have six in the middle. I, I will say this, you have to have, to be, in my opinion, very effective against the run in a three-three-five. you have to have a very special nose guard because um, he's playing the zero, and he is going to have to occupy really three guys, not just two, three guys. You know, I think about when South Carolina ran the three-three-five under Charlie Strong, you know, Langston Moore, um, Cleveland Pickney, um, those guys – they they made special plays at that nose tackle. And when I say special plays, if you're not somebody who who watches the trenches, so to speak, of the offensive defensive line, the nose guard most likely is not going to have very many statistical things. He's not going to have a whole lot of tackles. He's not going to have sacks. He may not have you know tackles for the loss. Jalen Carter, uh, you know, Georgia's best defensive lineman, who is probably going to go number one overall or close to it in the NFL draft in April. If you look at his stats, they're not that impressive. But if you look how he disrupts the middle of a oh, defense, yeah. it's 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 completely different. So you're exactly accurate in the fact that if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm attacking the one hole and the zero hole and, and the one hole to the other side, or if you're in defensive terms, the A-gap. I'm going at the A-gap all day because that is their biggest weakness because they are not designed to beat that. And that's what 
Michigan in the previous game against TCU had to get away from. They got down 14 nothing all of a sudden, and they felt like they had to pass the ball to keep up. Whereas on their very first play from scrimmage, they ran ISO, straight up old school ISO, double down, fullback hitting that Mike Backer, and they ran for 59 yards. And, you know, it, it can gash you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I'm an offensive coordinator that's getting a chance at playing a 3-3-5, I'm making you prove to me that you can stop me on inside zone, whatever type of offense, I, a running game I like to have, inside zone, ISO, uh, power, old school G power, where I'm wrapping around the center and popping somebody. It's, you know, that's the weakness is the middle the middle run game. Yeah, and and th- this is this is why I think that that Todd Munkin, Georgia's offensive coordinator, I, I I honestly I think he might be one of the best OCs in the country right now. I, I mean, and, agree. And, and and of course people can say, well, I mean, well, you've got the kind of talent Georgia has. Here's the thing: Georgia does not have. I don't I don't I don't care what the stats say. They don't have an elite quarterback. They've got a really good offensive line. They don't have an elite running back. They don't really have elite wide receivers. They've got two outrageously elite tight ends. But the point is, is they're not stacked top to bottom like some of the Georgia championship teams have been or some of the Bama teams have been. Munkin does such a great job of creating mismatches and maximizing his personnel. Granted, uh, again, like I said, it doesn't hurt when you have people like Bowers and, and Washington in your tight end room. But here's the thing about that three three five. In addition to that run, you're also vulnerable up the seams, yep. up the seams, straight down the middle, flanking those linebackers, you know, on, on the on the hashes right there. And when you've got not one, but two tremendously talented and and big body and quick tight ends like Georgia has. Munkin just did a phenomenal job of exploiting that. I mean, Georgia, we knew that TCU was not a juggernaut defense coming into this game, but I mean, Georgia rolled up just short of 600 yards. I mean, yeah. it was, and, and, and I will say that I think another way that, that Munkin was able to, uh, to, to attack that and to really attack those seams is Gillespie TCU's DC. The way he likes to play the three, three, five is, he splits it into field and boundary. And we've talked about that before field, which is going to be the wide side of the field boundary is that short side. And he, he puts his strength to the boundary and speed to the field, which makes a lot of sense. You've got more ground to cover. You want speed over there. He wants to be multiple. He wants to be versatile. Hmm. Here's the thing. They were on their heels so much on Monday night. I don't think he had a chance to be multiple, to be versatile, but the, the bottom line here is, TCU was very outmatched in this game, and I think it was a perfect storm because TCU's scheme, and I'm using air quotes here, is a little Swiss Army knife-esque in that they, they, they really focus on weaknesses and what they can exploit. Again, going back to Todd Munkin, Georgia ran quite a few formations and plays that they had not shown all year. So if you're if, if you're not prepared for that, it doesn't matter how many analysts you have in the booth, how many guys you have breaking down film – it was just Georgia just came to play, and I honestly don't think there was any team in the country that could have beaten Georgia on Monday night. No, I, I completely agree with you. Georgia's just at – they're at a different level right now. They're in a different tier. I think that's what Sonny Dykes said after the game is they're just on a different tier than we are. And, I mean, they're on a different tier than everybody. Um, you know, Nick Saban, Alabama faithful, you know, Crimson Tide diehards would not agree with that statement, but they are. Um, they are, uh, let's sub out, like, let's say, you know, TCU gets left out of the playoff, Bama makes it in, 
and somehow this turns into a Georgia-Bama national championship like we had last year. I, obviously, I don't think it's 65 to, to 7, but I still <laughs> think Georgia wins pretty handedly. Um, yeah, 100%. And Todd Munkin, who, by the way, I mistakenly called Jeff Munkin uh, last week by, <laughs> by myself, um, Todd Munkin, you're exactly right. I think he's the best offensive coordinator in the country right now because here's the thing, and, and I, there was a great conversation. If you're if you're a football fan and a podcast person, listen to the New Heights podcast with Travis Kelsey and his brother Jason, two NFL stars. Um, they they talked today about college coaches going to the NFL and their success rate and this, that, and the other. What they got to was being innovative and being different only works for so long, particularly in the NFL, when you have great offensive, defensive coordinators. And then also they've got all the time in the world to prepare for this. So you've got to be a good coach. Todd Munkin is a good coach. His offense isn't something we've never seen before. It's no. not something that's out of the ordinary. But what it is, is he pulls the right strings. He knows how to put his quarterback, Stinson Bennett, in the best position possible to be successful. Same with his running backs, same with his tight ends. I mean, they lost, this team lost George Pickens at wide receiver, who's done really well in the NFL this season. And at times, he's had an up-and-down season as a rookie, but most rookies do. But my point being, he was a stud last year. Their offense may have been more productive this year. Um, last game for whatever reason, and I'd love to pick Todd Monken's uh, brain one time. They did Brock Bowers did not see the ball very much against Michigan, so I don't know if Michigan was keying on him. I don't know what was going on there, but or if he was just a decoy. But then TCU, they were like, "Hey man, you you're gonna get it. Like let's go." And I mean, he was unstoppable. So I say all that to say. You don't have to be an evil scientist genius with this creative, like I'm not trying to throw shade at Josh Heupel, but like this super fast offense stuff to be a good offensive coordinator. You just got to maximize your talent. It's what, as South Carolina fans that frustrated us, and we'll get into this later, about Marcus Satterfield for the majority of his time at South Carolina to the last two games of the regular season, that he didn't maximize his talent. That's what that's what it that's what good coaching is. That's what good coaching is. You know, Steve Spurrier didn't have a run package for Danny Werfel, but he sure did with Connor Shaw. And that's because they're two different players. So you don't, you know, you got to fit it to there. Um Georgia's on a different level. You know, uh David Pollock said it uh with with Nick Nick Saban staring a hole through him, which was an awesome moment during that. He said, you know, that Georgia's has taken over college football and Nick Saban's like literally staring at him. Like I, <laughs> I just can't stand you. Um, speaking of the broadcast and Thomas, I know you agree with me. I want a Pat McAbee and crew option for every football game. Like I want to have the, option. Oh, yeah. I want three choices. I want the traditional broadcast. I want Peyton and Eli. And then I want Pat McAbee and crew because it yeah. just depends. It just depends on my mood, what I want to hear. And like, I, I, I didn't think it would be 65 to, to seven, but I knew this game wasn't going to be close. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to be entertained and I'm going to tell you their broadcast was entertaining and it was, it was awesome. And, uh, they're just completely fun. agree. And completely as much, agree. I will say this, I was somebody until watching, cause I watched the entire game that I watched. I didn't say up the whole time. Cause I mean, good Lord, um, uh, who would, and we'll talk about the Monday night national championship stuff here in a second. But um, 
Pat McAfee, he knows football. Pat McAfee and, and AJ Hawk, but I mean, they, they know the game that he has this like over the top delivery, almost professional wrestling delivery. He's done some professional wrestling um, in his, since he retired from the NFL, but like he, he kind of gets this class clown reputation, but the guy knows the game. And, and, yeah. and I, I did not realize that until watching that. So that was fun to watch. Speaking of funny things, um, on another uh, famous or famous popular uh, football podcast about college football and NFL football, busting with the boys, they had Josh Hypo on, and they asked him, you know, how do you fix the playoff? How do you, you know, how do you make this more competitive? Whatever his response was, you just instead of bringing four teams from around the country, you take the f- top four teams in the SEC and you let them play for the national championship. <laughs> and, uh, I, I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty darn funny. He's, um, he's probably not wrong. Probably he's probably not, not wrong. So, you know, I'm going to give Stinson Bennett his flowers, his due, you know, the, the, the hip thing now is to say his flowers. The guys won two national championships back to back. Do I think he's an NFL quarterback? Absolutely not. No, um, neither was Tebow. Neither was Tebow. Like, I mean, but I'm going to give he for the rest of his life should be a legend in Athens. He was. Um, he should not have to pay for a drink in Athens, uh, or again. like should have any job he wants. Um, yeah. you know, like he he just you know, and listen, he made plays in that game. He made. Oh, yeah. you know, he had some good runs. He showed some arm strength. Now, granted, again, Munkin draft you know drew up some plays that he was throwing to wide open guys, and uh, it was it was impressive. George's defense, Thomas, and I, you know, I kind of, and you and I have mentioned throughout the year, and I mentioned it last week because they, they didn't look great against Ohio State. This was not the, the Georgia of last season defense, but they put the clamps on this TCU team. They, oh, it was. They, this was, they were outclassed, and it was impressive to watch. I mean, they held TCU to under 200 yards of total offense. There were, 36 rush yards. That is that's that's insane. I don't care who you are, who you're playing in a championship game. That that's absolutely correct. Now, lost in this this bloodbath, if you will. That's probably not a, a PC term to use this route. Um the college football season, Thomas, if we're talking about it in, in, in general terms, was interesting. It was exciting. There there were, you know, you had the Caleb Williams show out in L.A. You had big upsets, and as a South Carolina fan, I, I will point out the biggest one of the year may have been South Carolina beating Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were, there were big moments. There were dramatic moments. There were heroes, if you will, of sports, and they were big. You know, they were big. It was a good college football season. Thomas, how would you, you know, there were teams that, you know, TCU being one that showed up on the landscape that nobody anticipated. Kansas, Kansas State. Kansas, you know, yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Like, what's your overall outlook of college football's regular season? I think, uh, I think you're right. I think it was a, it was a great regular season uh, because, again, you got to see some things that don't happen. Kansas, this is the first time they were bowl eligible in, I don't know, 100 years, whatever. Um <laughs> Really, you know, did think they were going to make a little bit more of a splash. You got to see, uh, you know, people like uh, Brent Venables in their right. coaching debut. People like um, um, Elliot. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Tony Elliott. Excuse Tony me. Tony Elliott. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and so you you got to see some of those guys that that I want to see how they were going to do. Things didn't go so well uh, out in Norman, Oklahoma, for right. Venables. So I was curious to see what he's going to do there. But right. you saw. Uh, a lot of a lot of fun things, and you saw a lot of 
at least as a Gamecock fan, you saw a lot of things get uh, turned for the better with the Kentucky win, the A&M win, the, of course, as you mentioned, the Tennessee and the Clemson win. I thought it was a really good season. I, I quite enjoyed it, um, notwithstanding, you know, the Missouri game, the Florida game for uh, South Carolina fans. But top to bottom, I loved every second of it. Absolutely. So, I mean, we can't talk college football in general and college sports in general and not mention NIL and transfer portal stuff. We don't have to go down too far of a rabbit hole, but it has changed everything. Kids are basically demanding money. Um, I think as of now, uh, T, uh, Florida's quarterback that was going to come in as a, a stud, he has asked to be let out of his national letter of intent because basically um, the money he was promised has not materialized. Thomas, do you remember Blue Chips, the movie with Nick Nolte? Love, love that movie. It's a fantastic movie, a rewatchable for me. Uh, Nick Nolte plays a coach. Uh, Shaq is in there. His character's name is Neon DeBeau. Um, Penny Hardaway is in there. There's a scene with a guy who was a, a actually I looked him up today. He was a, a, a fairly a very good basketball player in Portugal, but his character's name is Ricky Rowe. And he's presented as this like all shucks country boy from the Midwest, sort of based on a Larry Bird type kid. And he, you know, he goes on his recruiting visit. He sees all the pretty girls. He he's blown away by Western, which is a, you know, sort of a look at like a, a, a not a, kind of a, you know, fictional version of UCLA in a way. Um, and he sits down in the coach's office and says, I need X amount of bills and two black duffel bags, I, you know, and, and my dad needs a tractor for his farm and I need this and that. And, you know, it's this big climatic scene where, you know, Nick Nolte's character throws him out of his office. He's like, get out of here. What are you know, Thomas, that that's where we are in college sports. Yep. And, and it's, it's crazy. And, and, I know you feel the same way, so I'm going to go on record for both of us, and you you can jump in if you want to echo even stronger. These players deserve to be paid money for what they are doing. And I'm not just talking about college football, college basketball, college baseball, even you know the non the sports that aren't revenue sports. They, they are putting in a lot of time and a lot of energy and injuring themselves. They deserve more than the, the really minuscule stipend they were getting previously, particularly college football and basketball. But, Thomas, there's got to be some kind of regulation. And is there a way to do that at this point? Can we put the genie back in the bottle? Like, what can be done? <laughs> It's, uh, I think that is the million-dollar question, and you're right. I do agree with you. They, they do need to get paid. Universities are making, you know, bukus and bukus of money on these kids. Um, and I and I, I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, name, image, likeness is a thing. I do agree with you that at some point, some sort of guardrails or parameters, if you will, have to be put on this thing. What those guardrails or parameters look like, I have no idea. And, and I think it is honestly – you know, there's a lot of people you can blame on this, but I think, you know, uh, 100% of the blame pretty much falls squarely on the NCAA. They they saw this coming. They knew this was coming for years and years. And we've talked about the Ed O'Banion case and and we've talked about name image likeness and, and typical, typical NCAA fashion. They did nothing and they sat on their hands 
And now they're caught with their pants on the ground and they don't know what to do. And it's just spiraling out of control. And then on top of that, you have the transfer portal, which is making literally every college athlete a free agent at the end of each season. A player can walk in or even during the season, a player can walk into a coach's office and say, hey, if you don't, if I don't get X amount or this and that in NIL, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And there's, I mean, again, I feel like players deserve the ability to transfer to an extent, especially if your coach leaves, but it's out of control. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, it's the Ricky Rowe. Hey, I'm going to walk into your office. I want $50,000 and, or, you know, for some of these kids, it's $5 million. And if I don't get it, I'm, I'm going somewhere else and there's nothing yeah. to do about it. Yeah. And, and here's, here's my question for you, because I, I agree with you. I think the transfer portal is getting a little out of hand and, and obviously it plays, it, it dovetails right in with the name image likeness. Cause some of these people are right. going for, for better deals, but I, I do, I think there needs to be a, a limit placed on, you know, you, it should be, you get one free transfer. Okay. So, I so agree. let's say, let's say hypothetically you get one free transfer who knows? You may end up at the wrong place, and you're like, "Hey, this is not a good fit. I need to go somewhere else." But you, you can't you can't pull a JT Daniels and bounce all over the place. Right. My second question for you, though, is because some people have also said, "Well, you should also you should also get to leave." Um, you know, if, if your if your if your head coach gets another job and he leaves, okay, that's fair too. But I'll take it a step further. If you're going to allow somebody to transfer because their head coach left, why not? If, if their position coach or if they're on defense, their defensive coordinator, or I'll, you can take it even step further. Let's say that you're a defensive player. Mm-hmm. You, your program gets a new offensive coordinator who is a hurry up, no huddle, and you don't want to play defense on a team like that. Should you be able to transfer for that too? It's, it's not, it's not, the, circum, it's not right. the same situation that you signed up for, I guess is what I'm saying. Like the terms have changed. Well, Where do you draw the line? Well, and see, and my father-in-law and I had that exact conversation uh, a couple of days, uh, maybe weeks ago at this point, where I think that is a problem. I don't like I was originally on the on the on the plan of if the head coach leaves for another job, you can transfer immediately. But like you just said, what if it's my position coach? What if it's this? What if it's that? I don't think you can get into the what ifs. So I think you almost have to do like you just said. You get one. You get one free transfer and. If after that, when you've graduated, sure, you can have another one if sure. you're eligible, but like you can't, you know, pull a J- JT Daniels, you know, and, and the guys like that. And it's just here's the thing like, and I, I it, it's tough for me because as a fan, it's frustrating. But if it was my son and my son came to me and he was a starter at the University of South Carolina and I love the University of South Carolina. I raised him to love the University of South Carolina. And he said, Dad, you know, at the University of South Carolina, I can start and I, I can get, let's call it $750,000, which is a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money, more money than, you know, you and I make in numerous years. Yeah. And Buddy goes, you know, Dad, if I go to, you know, if I go to Southern Cal, they're going to give me $5 million. You know, what do you do in that case? And, yeah. and, and that's why it's so hard because you and I, as fans, we're diehard. We're, we're you know, as, as Dan Patrick loves to point out and has for years, fan is short for fanatic. 
So like in my brain, you're a Gamecock. You should be a Gamecock. But is it's a business decision. But that's also what bothers me is we're now in we're we're dipping into pro pro sports. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because you know, I get it. You know, listen, it, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. You know, my uh Miles Sanders, our running back, just rushed for a thousand yards for his first time and is a free agent and, and and probably is going to be able to make more money on another team next year. He's probably going to leave. I don't want him to, but it's a business decision. I get that. And I don't want college sports to be about a business decision. Like that bothers me. And, and it's just really hard. Uh, I, there's just got, I, I, the thing I keep coming back to is there has to be competitive balance. Uh, a school like Texas, a school like Southern Cal, you know, I heard uh, Arch, uh, or excuse me, Cooper Manning talking on a podcast about Arch Manning, and he said something about how uh, te- you, Tennessee, or excuse me, Texas has sixty-five thousand undergrad. So, if every one of those kids graduates over the next four years, and they gave a hundred dollars back to an NIL, that that's going to end up with around six million dollars in it. Mm-hmm. so that's hard for us as south carolina to compete with so there has it's just like in college or pro sports if you don't have some kind of regulation the new york and la and chicago and dallas and and those big market teams they're going to squash the other teams and, and so i you know we can get off this soapbox for now but they're just i just there's got to be some kind of regulation because otherwise a South Carolina. And I mean, I I will say as a South Carolina fan, this is a concern I have. We become a feeder school. We become kid is a three-star doesn't get highly recruited. Doesn't get promised a lot of money comes to South Carolina has a tremendous freshman year or freshman and sophomore year. And then all of a sudden the big boys who have big deeper pockets come knocking. I can't blame. Can, can, Can you blame him for leaving? You know, it's just it's tough. No, and and all the more reason why, um, you know, the, the, this is this is the age where uh, alumni and the deep pockets have to step up and have to pony up if, if they want to be able to play with the big boys. They've got to put up that money. That I, don't don't call me for it. I, I don't have right. that kind of money, but <laughs> we've got the alums that do. Speaking of which, Darla Moore, we're paging you. We we love you. If you could just. <laughs> Come back. I'm sorry the board upsets you. Um, please, please, yes. Please, we need you for academic and athletic reasons. All right, Thomas, let's get down to, you know, the majority of our, our, our listeners are South Carolina fans or at least live in the state of South Carolina. So let's talk about South Carolina's season and review. We're going to give kind of a grade and some of our reasons for the grade for the offense, the defense, and the special teams. Thomas, you're going to lead us off. Take us through your grades for this season. Yeah, so so we'll start with the offense that, you know, we spent a lot of time this this season talking about the offense, talking about our good buddy Marcus Satterfield, who has moved on to uh, maybe not greener, but definitely flatter pastures out, out in the Midwest. But offense, I'm looking at like a C-plus here. Now, if if this if if this team would have gotten their doors blown off by Tennessee and Clemson, which they didn't, this would have been a D-minus or, or maybe even an F at this point. Um, I, honestly, it, even if you if you graded this offense on just a few select games, Missouri 
or Florida, it would have been a massive failure. We're not talking an F here at that point. That would have been a, a did not complete. That would have been my freshman year self-paced astronomy class. Probably they're not even finishing that. Um, <laughs> it was it was good at at the end of the season. You know, there there were highs and there were lows. There were some some really really lows. Um, but I think we finally got to see what what Rattler was capable of. Um, of course, with the news last night. Uh, that he is coming back. People are, are excited about that, excited to see what he can do with a new offensive coordinator that can hopefully maximize his talent. Um, you know, there, there's nuances here that that I'm that I wasn't happy with the way that we use some guys. I was never a big fan of using Juju in the backfield. Of course, at times we had to do that due to uh, personnel or lack thereof. But um, you know, there was it was just it was a very schizophrenic, uh, honestly, for lack of a better term, offensive performance. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with it with a C plus here on offense. And so let's ping pong this back and forth. Where are you at on offense? Um, you know, I think we're, we're relatively close there. I'm at C minus. Um, I agree with you. If, if Tennessee would have blown our doors off and, and Clemson as well, that had been a much lower grade. My, my problem is is that for three-fourths of the season, if you broke the season into you know three-game, four, four three-game categories, it, it really got wa- wasted. Talent got wasted. Um, you know, Tennessee and Clemson changed that. Um, you know, there's, there's been all sorts of rumors. And, Thomas, I sort of talked about this uh, on the last show. I feel like after watching the, the Gator Bowl – that the did Marcus Satterfield call the last two games question is over. I, I, I think he did. I think rails were put on, but I think he did. How, what are your what's your response to that? No, I, I think you're right too, and I completely agree with you. I, I think it was a uh, yeah, it was essentially training wheels. I think I think Beamer went to him uh, and said, "Look," and tore out you know 35 pages of that. <laughs> Uh, Waffle House menu playbook that he has and said, screw those, these eight plays, focus on these, these three personnel groupings and go from here. And so, which bet, which, which almost makes me even more upset Hmm. that it's like this jackass could have been doing this the entire season, but because he wants to read off of a cheesecake factory menu (laughs) and pick plays from it. Ah, it's very frustrating. No, I agree. I, I think um, the offensive line uh, struggled, you know, at times. Had great games at times. Um, mixed bag there. Running game was was tough. You know, Marshawn Lloyd now going to Southern Cal was was injured, um, and and it was hard to see how effective he was at times. So it, you know, a C minus feels about right. If we're looking ahead to next season. I think it's it's a big plus, like you mentioned earlier, that Spencer Radler is coming back. Juice Wells is coming back. You know, we've gotten a, uh, you know, we talked about the transfer portal just a second ago, gotten a big transfer out of uh, Arkansas with our, our new OC Loggins. And is it Trey Knox? That's his first name, right, Trey? Yeah. 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 Um, that's a huge get. Um, so, I mean, South Carolina still needs a, a – a, a transfer portal running back, in my opinion, because you need somebody who is ready to make an impact immediately. Um, hopefully, and I, I would imagine that um, Coach Beamer talked to him about this. Hopefully, Loggins learned about this from what he maybe saw. Like, hey, less is more. 
you know, accentuate your talent don't work for the perfect play. All right, so Thomas, throwing it back to you, what would you grade our defense at? Defense, you know, and honestly, when I sat down and really thought about this, I was like, oh, man, you know, this was a little disappointing because I feel like I or, or we, uh, probably a lot of us, had higher hopes for this defense going into this season. Um, I'm giving defense a, a C plus. Now, the caveat here is, this defense was was decimated with with injuries, losing people like Mo Kaba, Jordan Strawn, um, Cam Smith missed a couple games. It's uh, and, and honestly, I can't I can't I can't underscore the loss of Kaba and and Strawn the most or any more than I possibly can because I think we were hampered by very subpar linebacker play. Linebackers are slow, stuck in mud. I was about to say, if by slow, by low, uh, subpar, you mean slow. That, that yes, that is what I would say. Yes, molasses, and I think Mokaba and Jordan Strawn were 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 so good at their respective positions at linebacker and, and on the edge. I think we really, really missed them. Um, did see some bright spots in the back seven. Of course, we've talked ad nauseum about Nick Emanwari and how great he has come on local product here from Columbia. So. Uh, I was I, I wanted more out of this defense, uh, just like last year. I guess yeah, in 2021, had trouble stopping the run at times, um, and we're getting gashed up the middle. So at, at some point, as big of a fan of Clayton White, our defensive coordinator, as I am, at some point we've got to start saying, all right, when does he stop getting a pass? When does he stop getting a pass for our run defense being so garbage? And it wasn't garbage top to bottom. There there were bright spots, but I think on paper preseason, this should have been, should have finished the season as like a B plus defense. And, and I've got them at a C plus. Yeah, I agree. So before I get into my grades, you asked me some schematical questions before, and I'm going to ask you now as a defensive guy. We run a four-two-five. You and I both know that. We've talked about that. That additional nickel. I believe we call, as far as you know, we call them the spur, right? Yeah, usually. Do you feel like, in my opinion, one of my concerns with our run defense is that to that second, or excuse me, that nickel, you know, that takes a linebacker off field. He seems to be a true DB. Yeah. And not a hybrid linebacker safety, you know, Rashawn Faison uh, type player. And I feel like that hurts us because if I'm an offensive coordinator and I go into a game knowing, okay, you're, you're going to put five DBs out there all day, I'm going to run at you. Because mm-hmm. again, you have six in the box, just like we talked about with, with TCU in the 3 3 5. I feel like I'm concerned that there needs to be some sort of schematical change or at least personnel change that that player doesn't need to be a a coverage-only type guy. That needs to be Nick. That needs to be DQ, who are sound tacklers, and they need to play, and you talked about boundary and field. That guy needs to be to the field, and he needs to be able to tackle in space. That needs to be our alley defender, you know, when you think about our edge, our edge defense this year, it that's where we got hurt the most in the run game. Oh yeah, and, and I worry that it's it's a personnel thing, and I don't mean bad players. I mean we've taken a third linebacker off the field and said, "Hey, we're going to just run with this this fifth DB." 
that fifth DB has got to be a hybrid guy. If you're going to do that, it can't be, he's just a coverage guy. He's got to be able to fight through blocks, get underneath blocks and make tackles on the, on the edge. And I don't see that right now. And so I'm concerned by that. I do give South Carolina a C plus as well. Um, we said it over and over again. Speed at linebacker has to improve. Um, yeah. They just got the transfer from Old Miss. Do you remember his name? No, I don't either. Transfer linebacker at Old Miss from Old Miss. See, four star recruit coming out of high school. Seems very fast. There needs to be a premium, premium. Give me an undersized fast linebacker who is tough nosed. I need a premium of that because. Speed is hurting us, and we got to find a way to improve there. Um, I, speaking of the edge, you know, we mentioned transfer portal and guys leaving. You know, it's made official today that um, Jordan Birch has left as through, through the transfer portal will go to Oregon. Um, and you know, an edge player that we counted on a lot. You know, Thomas, is it Trajan J- Jeff Code at Missouri? His first name's Trajan. Is that right? I think. I think it's Trajan, yeah. Trajan, defensive end, uh, edge player um, from Irmo, went to Irmo High School, allegedly or supposedly wanted to come to South Carolina, and somebody on Will Muschamp's staff, I can't remember exactly who, kind of nixed it, which was terrible uh, because he's had an all-SEC career out there in in Missouri, Columbia. and um, Big surprise. Yeah, shocker, shocker. So apparently he he strongly wants to come back, and I hope he does because we need that replacement there. I just the edges concern me, not be not by personnel per se, but scheme, <clears throat> philosophy, and it's a worry I have. But maybe Clayton adjusts and, and does things. He, I think Clayton White is a very good football coach. I think he look can look at his personnel, look at his weaknesses. Because let's be honest, college football is no longer a fall sport for these coaches. Not only are they recruiting year round, they're watching tape year round. They're calling each other. They're talking to each other about schemes, talking to NFL coaches. Speaking of talking to each other, Thomas, to go all the way back to the national championship, if you remember, Sonny Dykes kind of had some some funny little jabs at the SEC about out-of-conference play towards the end of the season. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, and he did. I, in my mind, I want to believe there is an SEC head coach's group text, and at halftime, they were all like, dude, run that dude into the ground like (laughs) you know teach you know kirby teach him a lesson um which by the way apparently uh have you seen the video that georgia players were eating wings on the sideline in the second half that's amazing like hey man this thing's over can i get a hot dog i get some wings (laughs) like i'm done all right moving quickly to special teams thomas you know just instead of throwing it back and forth i think we both would agree a plus here um definitely the highlight of the season would be this unit yeah, honestly, I, I didn't really know that special teams could be this good or, or this enjoyable. So thanks, Coach Limbo. I have enjoyed our special teams. Right, and it and it is that Beamer ball type thing. But, you know, I feel like Shane and Coach Limbo have taken it to a whole nother level. Frank was aggressive and would try to block kicks and block punts. South Carolina does that and like, hey, man, we're going to run this swinging gate thing at you, and if you're not ready for it, we're going to throw – a touchdown pass to our long snapper like we did in the Gator Bowl. So, I mean, it's just fun to watch. Um, but also, it is game-changing. You know, it, it shifts momentum, and it was huge. So, really just just good stuff. Um, Thomas, if we talked overall coaching, I feel like you got to give it a B. We've mentioned some, con- some concerns 
with decision making. But Thomas, remind me if I'm thinking of this wrong. Do you remember wasn't the over under from Vegas on South Carolina's win total like five and a half? Yeah, because I, I really thought about uh, flying to Vegas and mortgaging my house on it because <laughs> I knew that this would have been, and it's now two years in a row, that South Carolina has smashed the over on the win total because I think it was around four or five last year too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with all the things you and I got talked about this season and fans, South Carolina fans talked all over the, about this season that were frustrating and what could have been. And, you know, if we'd have put these guardrails on before the Missouri game and during the Florida game, is South Carolina a 10 and two team at the end of the year, um, you know, or, or whatnot, you know, would have, could have, should have, but overall to be predicted by these guys in Vegas, who they're pretty smart. Vegas has got some pretty huge casinos out there as a five and a half win over under and to come out at eight wins with two top wins over top 10 teams. That's pretty good coaching. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Maximizing your talent, um, uh, Marcus Lapp, Satterfield, uh, notwithstanding. Correct, correct, and hopefully that's no longer an issue. All <laughs> right, we're going to shift gears, talk about the NFL. Uh, the NFL playoff pitcher is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, a new customer can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good. Why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? We're going to be talking very soon about our predictions of Super Wild Card Weekend on the line and things of that nature. Be sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, Thomas, let's talk a little NFL. Um, let's talk Super Wild Card Weekend. <clears throat> let's give some predictions. Uh, Thomas, sad, Saturday starts off with the Seattle. I almost said Supersonics. The Seattle <laughs> Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers. Uh the Niners here are a favorite at nine and a half. Thomas, what are your thoughts? Who's winning this game? Yeah, San Francisco. I mean, I, I rode San Francisco's defense pretty much all season in my fantasy league. I think they're going to roll here. Yeah, I think San Francisco takes this one pretty easily. Good on Geno Smith for having a bounce back season. I hope he wins, potentially wins um, player comeback player of the year. Best quote of the year, though, in his first game of the season this year, he said afterwards about being written off, he said, they wrote me off. I ain't wrote back, though. So <laughs> well said, Gino. That's quote of the year in the NFL. Next <laughs> game on Saturday, the L.A. Chargers are at the Jacksonville Jaguars with the Chargers being a road favorite at two and a half. Thomas, who's winning this ball game? I'm I'm I've got the I've got the Trevor Lawrence fever. I'm kind of excited to see him finally put it together, and he has been playing lights out. Uh, I got to go with the Jags here. I'm, I'm Duval, 
Duvall. I'll agree with you there because my boy Dougie P, Doug Peterson, who led the Eagles to the Super Bowl back in 2017, good old Philly Philly, also a former uh, Philly backup back in the day. Dougie's got him playing great. I think Jacksonville gets their first playoff win, and I don't know how long here. Switch into Sunday's games. You got Miami, the Miami Dolphins heading up to Buffalo. By the way, DeMar Hamlin, still great news out of uh, his situation, continues to improve and get better every day. God bless him for that, and, and we continue to pray for his health. But, Thomas, with the Miami Dolphins going to Buffalo to play in the Buffalo uh frozen tundra there's no telling how much snow is going to be up there uh buffalo's a 13 and a half favorite two is not playing thomas make the easy pick here yeah i was gonna ask if it was snowing but it don't matter no to uh josh allen is my dog we got i've got buff in this one yeah for sure giants and the vikings new york giants minnesota vikings next game at minnesota uh vikings are favored by three thomas what are your feelings here I guess Minnesota, but do, are we really sure? Are, is Minnesota really good? Or are they that good? Are they good? I don't. Ooh, that's the question of all season long. Uh, Kurt Cousins, um, you know, he's been famous for being without his shirt this season on the plane on the way back <laughs> with chains on, doing some really ridiculous dancing. Of course, he's got his famous "You like that?" quote. So, uh, <laughs> you know, my hope is that the Giants beat him, uh, and they can all say "You like that?" as they walk off the field. <laughs> Uh, I, I I think the Vikings at home get the win here, um, but they I don't trust them. If you were betting here on DraftKingsSportsbook.com or the app, don't don't bet this game. Just stay away from it because it's yeah, it's kind of it's kind of it. it's kind of iffy. Baltimore Ravens travel to play the Cincinnati Bengals for their next game on Sunday. Bengals favored here by seven and a half. Thomas, what's the outcome here for Garnet? Thor that is Hayden Hurst and the Bengals. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of speaking of missing a quarterback and and one of my current favorite quarterbacks, Baltimore, no Lamar Jackson, Cincinnati, Joe Burrow. His Fury's got a cigar ready to go. Maybe he'll toss toss a couple Hayden's way. I, I've got I've got Cincy in this one. Absolutely, I agree with you 100. If I was if I was putting it like saying, hey, these two games are locks. If you want two locks for me. Buffalo wins and covers. Since he wins and covers, um, without Lamar Jackson on playing for Baltimore Monday night, you have the Dallas Cowboys traveling down to Tampa Bay to play Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Interestingly enough, the Cowboys, after looking like absolutely hot, hot garbage in their last game of the season against the Commanders, are the road favorite here at two and a half. Thomas, who are you picking here? The thing is, is like I, I, I really I'm not sold on this Tampa Bay team this year, and I don't, I don't think that they're that good. But it is Tom Brady, and it is uh, we're getting in the postseason here, and it's hard for me to count them out. So I got to go with Tampa Bay here. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, and I'll be honest, my Philadelphia Eagle fandom, Fly Eagles, Fly, comes into play here. I don't. I don't want to play Dallas next week, not because I don't think we can beat them, just because I don't want to give them the satisfaction of being able to somehow sneak up and beat us. And the <laughs> Eagles will play the lowest-seeded NFC team. 
next week. Um, and, you know, with Dallas being at the five seed, I see, you know, the Giants losing to the Vikings. They're the sixth seed and Seattle losing to uh, the 49ers and they're the seventh seed. So they would be the lowest seed. I mean, I, I'm not thrilled about Tampa and Tom Brady, but I would rather play them than the Cowboys because losing, if anyone who's not an NFL fan or an Eagles fan, I'll equate it to this. Philly and Dallas are South Carolina and Clemson. So (laughs) you don't, as a Philly fan, want to lose to your rival. Now, should we beat them? And if we see them next week in in a game, absolutely we should. But it's just one of those things. I just, I don't want to mess with it. And, And, you know, Tom is dealing with stuff. Maybe Tom goes on a revenge tour, man. He's divorced now. Um, you know, he, he may be, he may be ready to make another run. There, there is that angle show. We still got it here in the twilight of his career, but, uh, I got to see it first. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, fans. It has been a great college football season as it always is. We've enjoyed talking football, teaching football, learning football. We'll, we'll pop in from time to time as, as we are in the off season to talk and talk scheme and, and see if we can grab some, some guests that we've are trying to line up. You can follow us on SAA football fan. Uh, at SAA football fan on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at ask at, or excuse me, just SAA football fan at gmail.com. Also, I want to mention coming up, Thomas has played in it every single year. My mom passed away four years ago, almost four years ago from multiple myeloma. Since that time, I've hosted a charity golf tournament here in the Midlands of South Carolina um, to fund research for multiple myeloma, which took her from us. And that'll be March 3rd, a 12 o'clock shotgun start at the Spur at Northwoods. So if you are in South Carolina or in the Midlands and want to play, come join us and look out on our Facebook page for a flyer of how you can get involved. Thomas, a great season as always, my friend. As we head out the door for one last time this season, tell the fans anything you want to tell them. Man, I, I want to tell the fans thanks for another great season allowing us to do what we do. And and instead of us emailing each other back and forth all day on Monday following football, we, we now get to share all of our stupid random stream of consciousness here on football. So I truly enjoy that. I hope everyone um, has a great off season, gets in shape for the new season. We got to come in hard coming in August and, and be ready to see some football and hope everybody is safe. Has a great summer. Be careful with those fireworks. That's right. And as always, for one last time, see ya.